Hello and welcome to Finance, Energy and Beyond. Brought to you by Stanbrook Consulting, a specialist recruitment consultancy for the finance and energy markets. I'm your host Jack Hopper and in this episode I'm joined by Rory Tanner, Head of UK Government Affairs at Revolut. Rory tells us about his journey and shares his lessons from working in government and Revolut. Hope you enjoy. Rory, welcome. Hi Jack, how are you doing? Really good, thank you. Thank you for joining us. First of all, let's start with who are you and, and what do you do? Well, firstly, Jack, thanks for having me. Uh, it's really uh, exciting to come on this podcast. I'm Rory Tanner. I am the head of UK Government Affairs and Public Policy at Revolut. Revolut is a UK fintech uh, business that launched in 2015, focusing originally on travel cards, now launched in 40 countries globally, offering over 50 different financial services products with 30 plus million customers. So a lot of growth um, and a really exciting place to work. My role there is to lead our UK engagement with government, parliament and certain regulators. Uh, It's essentially a dual role where part of my role is to lead the policy development for the the company. So looking at future policy and regulation that could impact the business either positively or negatively, and then looking to shape that regulation in our favour as a company that's a startup with really ambitious growth plans not often are people thinking two three four five years in the future so what my Mm. role is to spot the future things that can affect us and then influence them for the better so whether it be open banking or crypto or cbdc's it's my role to ensure that when those things come the regulation is in place that we can uh, properly utilize it in order to grow the business and deliver the best outcomes for for customers the other side of the role is then the government affairs side which is essentially lobbying you know, in addition to coming up with the ideas, it's then my job to firstly lobby internally to make sure that those are the positions that the product owners and the heads of departments are happy with. And then secondly, going to the relevant stakeholders to influence them to show that this is the best idea and that this should be adopted. And whether that be policy regulation or uh, a business decision or economic decision, you know, it's my job to then convince whether it be civil servants, ministers, MPs, that this is the right decision to take. Wow. Um, thanks for sharing. I think uh, the complete honesty about about the story of our connection is I came across yourself on LinkedIn and I saw your, your job title and I was just sort of taken back. I, I need to know more. Um, <laughs> and obviously we've had a conversation since. And it is really interesting, right, because... Um, it's the first time I've seen someone in your position in in a finance role. I'm sure there's lots of individuals that do hold that title, but it's really interesting to see that um, a company like Revolut are really investing in getting the right people in so you can have those conversations. It's not like a side of desk thing, right? This is your role to propel the, the company forward and make sure that you're doing things in the right way. Um, but But where did... Where did you start? Where did your story start? How did you get into the UK head of government affairs? How does that how's that journey go? Take us from the beginning. 
Well, you're very flattering. And I think the reality is stumbling from one job to the next rather than any sort of uh, grand plan. But uh, I'll, I'll do my best to make it feel like it was a cohesive uh, strategy. <laughs> Um, so I studied um, American uh, literature, history and culture at uni at the University of Nottingham. What I focus on there was the uh, 20th century political history. So really looking at people like Lyndon Johnson, Bill Clinton, Ronald Reagan and how foreign policy and domestic policy affected the world, really, because obviously the, the, the uh, role that the US played uh, economically and uh, militarily, that's the word, um, you know, obviously yeah, meant that they were the, the world leaders. I was quite lucky really that, well, I was one of the only lucky ones, I guess, that the year I graduated was the the Brexit referendum. Before then, I hadn't really been that interested in UK politics, but I think like a lot of people that uh, votes meant that we took a lot greater interest in UK politics. Um, I did a lot of research on it, you know, to influence my own vote. Uh, obviously, it didn't go the way that I perhaps wanted, but the, the good side out of it is that um, there was an internship straight after uni at the Catholic Bishops Conference. So it was an internship with a placement in Parliament, working for an MP for a year, uh, with a lot of added extras, such as trips to various places like Brussels and Rome, and then also a degree at the University of London studying contemporary ethics. Wow. Like I said, um, you know, if I'd gone there in 2015, I would have had absolutely no shot of getting it because my focus was on uh, music and American history rather than UK politics. But, you know, one of the only good things to come out of Brexit was that it maybe have got me a job. So um, yeah. I don't know if that's worth thanking anyone for that. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I got that job. Um, and yeah, it was a really, really good experience. I worked for an MP called Maria Caulfield. She's the MP for Lewis in East Sussex. Um, she's now a health minister um, and she was a cancer nurse working, uh, well, obviously as an MP, but part-time as a cancer nurse. And, you know, it was a really, really amazing experience. I think going into the field of public affairs, it's such an important part of it to understand how parliament works. It's a very weird place. You know, it's, it's, it, it's, it really is its own bubble with its own traditions, the ways of working. And really understanding you know, how an MP's office works, who are the right people to talk to, both in the Westminster office and the constituency, understanding the machinations of Westminster politics and then the policy processes, understanding the difference between second reading and the committee stage of a bill, understanding the role that the table office plays, or even knowing what day the best uh, lunch options are in the canteen. You know, all of these uh, experiences are things that are really important for a lobbyist now working on the outside to know because you know that tabling an amendment at committee stage has limited success because uh, you know the, the the roles are filled by party political things so if the Tories don't support it in this scenario you're not going to get it past committee stage so that's good knowledge to know equally jerk chicken on the Tuesday best thing that the canteen has to offer so two uh, important life lessons there it was also a really good time so that was just after the brexit referendum theresa may had just come in as prime minister so it was a very chaotic time um there was various things there was the 2017 general election there was the westminster uh, terrorist attack so you know not all positive but incredibly enlightening experience after the uh, 2017 general election um maria kept her seat uh, but the internship finished and then um, after that I uh, applied for another job and then got the job as senior parliamentary assistant to so Stephen Crabb MP. 
So it was the same job. Still with inside the different. House of Commons, right? Yeah, so essentially yeah. working for another MP. And like every MP's office is its own office. Again, I can't stress yeah. enough, it's a very weird place. It's like having 650 different offices within one office block. Okay. Um, and the difference was that Stephen was a much more senior MP. So Maria had been elected in uh, 2015, whereas Stephen um, had been in since 2005. He had been um, work in pension secretary and wealth secretary. He'd also run for the leadership in uh, 2016. So again, a much more senior MP. So it's a more senior job. And also his uh, role was a lot broader uh, and with a lot more interest and with a lot more influence. So. Again, a really, really good experience um, doing a lot more policy development rather than like constituency casework and other other things. He was on the exit in the EU Select Committee, which is the parliamentary committee that scrutinised the government's uh, withdrawal strategy. So I was doing a lot of uh, in-depth policy research around Brexit, looking at various options, whether it be the Ukraine option and Norway option, getting into a lot of detail about the customs union and rules of origin and all, all of those things, meeting with incredibly interesting people. Um, because the benefits of being a senior MP is that interesting people want to meet you. So again, really, really good experience personally. Uh, and, you know, in a challenging office, um, as well as um, a different office to Maria's. And so taught me a lot of life skills about actually like just handling people, yeah. um, dealing with difficult moments, um, overcoming adversity uh, and all of those skills, which I think are really important to learn. I think, of, you know, they were hard at the time, but at the time I was 22, 23, and I think I was really grateful that I learned those experiences early on. Um, yeah, so I did that for another year. So that had been two years out of uni. And then after that, I think I was ready to leave uh, Westminster. You know, the bubble was a bit intense. Yeah. Was, the relations between different parties was very bad. Nothing was getting done. Um, and I think it was time to move on. And I kind of wanted to move into the business world. My girlfriend, um, she works and works in public affairs at, a, at an agency. So I was understanding on the day to day role what she was doing for her clients. And I thought that sounds really interesting. And also I can do that as well. So left um, Parliament in about August 2018. And then took a few months off when traveling. And then in January 9, uh, 2019, started at an agency called Political Intelligence. So they're a public affairs and communications consultancy. I had offices in the UK, um, Brussels, Lisbon, Madrid, etc. And then the role was turning into a lobbyist. Um, there's many words to describe it, government affairs, public affairs. Lobbyist is the kind of dirty American word and has some negative attributions to it, but really it's just like calling someone a lawyer or anything else. It's you know very legitimate uh, mm. part of uh, business culture. Yeah, and there is very different. So you know rather than working for an MP and just basically working for the constituents um, of, of that MP, you're now working for businesses. So you have four, five, six clients. And your role is to support those clients achieve their business outcomes and utilizing Brilliant. the Westminster and Whitehall processes in order to do that. So whether that be unlock government funding in the healthcare sector to help with innovative uh, health tech startups or gaining more government um, public support for sectors such as InsureTech or changing legislation in the fact that something's not working well for customers. Our client wants to improve that and so lobbying government to change that. 
again, a really, really diverse um, set of clients. I work for worked across insurance, health, telecoms, sustainability, um, two others, too many others to mention, but again, really, really <laughs> great experience and working with um, high growth sectors. So really looking at these sectors that are going to be the future of the UK economy that are often disruptors within their own sectors and working with really senior people within those. So I work for trade associations where I was regularly interacting with CEOs of, you know, unicorn businesses or, um, you know, managing directors of international health companies. Uh, so really, really um, interesting people. I learned a lot off of them. And yeah, again, I was at political intelligence for four years before um, joining Revolut and again, amazing experience. And, you know, looking back now and reflecting, I think I'm very lucky that I've had three jobs before Revolut that I loved all three of them. Yeah, and it, it sounds like sort of brick by brick, your journey's building up, right? So you've gone from working within parliament taking that knowledge and then doing some consultancy work and, and i bet you were like the perfect candidate when when they saw that you were interested right yeah. someone has actually been in the house of commons and worked with individuals to then helping others sort of get their projects over the line who are working with those individuals and i guess now you've instead of the consultancy route how did you come about moving to Revolut? Was there an opportunity that you just went for or was, how did that work? Was you was you thinking, look, I just want to work for one company now rather than being a consultant? Yeah, well, I think hindsight is twenty twenty, right? So looking back now, it seems perfectly placed that you work in Parliament, then go work at an agency where you're dealing with, you know, InsureTech, which is quite similar to FinTech and then high growth sectors and then all of the business and, um, you know, political knowledge that comes about that. Like I said, the reality isn't as um, staged as that. Um, yeah, the, to be completely honest, I was approached on LinkedIn for the job at a Revolut. Um, I actually saw the job title probably for originally. That's probably too senior for me. But when they approached me um, and started the interview process, you know, built confidence within myself to think that actually, yes, six years of experience is enough. Um, yeah. The experience I have is incredibly relevant and you know, political intelligence, its niche is probably quite deep policy processes and then lobbying on that rather than just like, you know, have a coffee with a minister. We uh, ran quite a few trade associations. So I was leading the policy development for the entire insurtech sector. So I was dealing with the financial services and markets bill and with um, Solvency 2 and all of these kind of quite deep, intense financial services policy issues. And actually, a lot of that is translatable to the work that Revolut is doing. So, yeah. you know, the financial services and markets bill affects Revolut. It's obviously too less so, but if you can, <laughs> if you can kind of grapple with um, how insurers are regulated by the PRA, you know, you can transfer that knowledge into almost anything. And yeah, I think that kind of combination of skills may be the right candidate. And, you know, it probably took me a while to kind of believe that myself. And whether that's imposter syndrome or just underconfidence, uh, I think, you know, a lot of people probably experience that. But I think, you know, doing the role now, I realise that I can do the role. I'm good at the role and can still get better as well. You know, I'm still quite young. I'm 28. It's probably not that common that someone is in a head of role at this age. But, no. you know, I still think that that's an opportunity for me that it's really cool that I'm here, but like can't take it for granted. And probably makes me work that a little bit harder because I feel like most of the time you're going into the rooms, I'm the only person under 35. And 
you know, you can take that either as an imposter syndrome thing or with a chip on your shoulder. So um, I try and do the latter, but it's always not 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 as easy as that always. Yeah, I've had these conversations with um, other guests previously and a little bit of imposter syndrome is not a bad thing. It means you've got you've got areas of growth still and uh, that's that's good, right? If you want to go into a new role, there has to be some sort of appetite. You need to have something that you want to build on and you want to grow as an individual. Not everyone, but um, that's the way I'm inclined. Um, and I, I don't doubt there's there's probably a lot of people that are listening that have looked at a job description and said, ah, oh, I don't think I'm the right fit for that. But in your case, it's good just to have a conversation with with the hiring manager just to understand a little bit more about the role. Right. Because, yeah, a job description is just words on a page at the end of the day. Um, they may be looking to get the right cultural fit into their team, the right individual. So having that conversation just you never know what's going to happen, right? And then look at you now. Yeah. Well, I, at Political Intelligence, I did hire, you know, I was involved in the hiring process. And so, you know, was involved in picking candidates. And yeah, I think anyone that's hired, anyone can know that it's not just about what's on the page. It's how a person interacts, how they would integrate into the team, what are their opportunities mm-hmm. to grow? You know, are they the finished product or are they a work in progress? If they're a good work in progress, that's often better than the finished product um and yeah often we like to hire young people that were inexperienced but clearly intelligent because firstly they had a lot of hunger and desire to work and so worked really hard and then secondly had that potential to grow and had the core skills of you know they know how parliament works and generally have an interest in politics the business stuff you can teach them you know you can't expect a 21 year old to understand the business model of tech that can be taught but sometimes you know them having an interest in who's going to win the general election like that is the kind of core skills that you might need to begin with because like I said everything else can be taught and having that innate interest means that you'll cut it in the sector because you're dealing with politics 100% of the time yeah you have to have some sort of interest right otherwise it's, it's, it, it can maybe di- be difficult to motivate yourself once you're in that role um, which I'm sure is why <laughs> why you're excelling and really enjoying it right because you're doing something which you you really enjoy you've you've been amongst it before and 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 a question for you Rory so through your through your career has there been one time where there's or one experience where you're like that's a real big lesson what's been like the biggest lesson for you so far in, in your development I think that's a really good question I I think attention to detail is really underrated like I'm a bit uh, pernickety, but I like, really hate spelling mistakes and stuff, all of that kind of really minor attention to detail things. But um, I think that if that is left unaddressed, it can lead to larger problems. Um, that was a massive mistake I made in um, Parliament once, which taught me a lot. Um, so I was working for Stephen Crabbe and he was the chair of the Conservative Friends of Israel, which is like the parliamentary group uh, in support of, of the Israeli state. As part of that, he was required to, you know, make lots of speeches, go to lots of dinners, etc. And one day there was a Westminster Hall debate. I can't specifically remember the topic, but it was on something to do with Israel. Um, he uh, said that he wanted to speak. The Conservative Friends of Israel had written a speech. Uh, you know, I thought it could be improved and spent like two days 
really working on this speech you know i thought i was basically ronald reagan you know basically making the best speech that westminster has ever seen mm-hmm. uh working that day showed it to steven he was really happy with it he's like yeah this is great let's do it you know he goes to the debate watching it um on the on the tv screen in in my office and people are getting called people are getting called i'm thinking steven's the chair he should get called to speak didn't get called and after an hour and a half he texted me being like did you ring the table office and said i wanted to speak and i was like insert expletive here uh, i'm not sure if we're allowed to swear here but in my office mm-hmm. i can assure you i swore very loudly you know the attention to detail was i'd been so focused on writing a good speech i hadn't dealt with the admin of ringing the table office mm-hmm. and telling them that Stephen wanted to speak again this is the sort of thing that you'd know in parliament that this is the, the things that you have to do and I think that taught me a really big life lesson that you can do the best job in the world if you don't have attention to detail, um, then, you know, it's all un- undermined. And I think, you know, you can apply that into professional work. I think whether it be emails and content and written work, attention to detail is very important because this is the yeah. public show of the competence and the intelligence and everything about your company so if you're making those basic mistakes the question i would ask as a client are what other mistakes are you going to make and i think broadly it means that you just double check your work that you are focused and you know in revolute now that's really important because i do a lot of data-driven work where we're presenting data on our customers to governments and regulators showing that things aren't working or things need to change because Again, I can't obviously talk about specific numbers, but you mm-hmm. know, data is very much drives what we do, uh, and we're very open about that. Therefore, you know, didn't do maths beyond GCSE, so it's probably my weakest subject. So attention to detail is incredibly important, an important life lesson, and you know, it still keeps me awake at night thinking that that amazing speech was, yeah. was never heard. <laughs> we've all had those, uh, we've all had those moments, right, where we've uh, made a mistake, but. Tell you what, you never make it twice because it because it hurts once once it happens. Yeah, exactly. The word that comes to my mind is reputation here. So whether that's you you individually or you as a firm, it all comes down to what is the reputation. And and obviously, if you get those attention to detail, those little things wrong, there is a, a reputational risk there for you as an individual or you as a company. Uh, so really good words of advice. And and if there was anyone that's looking to get into the field of government affairs, what advice would would you give to to someone that's looking to get into this industry? It's it's tough, right? Because I've been hiring, and you know, for one job you're getting over two hundred job applications, and everyone has a two one from a good uni. Everyone has experience. Everyone is probably invested in politics, so it's very tough. And the really the the, the best thing is have relevant experience. But I think that maybe that's not the best advice to give because I do recognise that internships are a privilege to some people that they're not as available. And you know, in reality, it's probably more open to to some people than others you know there are there are um discriminations uh, around that i think the only thing i can say is become a bit of a nerd a political nerd like i said the reason i got my first job was because i became a bit of a brexit nerd or a <laughs> remain nerd whatever you want to call it you know really knew the arguments the analysis the impacts both the economic side the social side 
and could go into an interview and talk really broadly about that. Um, and I think having that kind of broader knowledge is, is really important. And it's not just, you know, oh, I can name all 650 MPs because that's like saying you can speak Greek because you know the Greek alphabet. It's not about that. It's about doing so much homework about reading articles, reading books, yeah. you know, both in the UK side, the American side, and kind of getting a broader understanding about how the political system works. And what that does give you is that when you go into an interview, you have an edge because you're not just talking about yourself. You can actually broad broach into other topics. You know, if you're working in public affairs, these people are all going to be political nerds to a point as well. So they're more than willing to have these conversations. I think I remember that when I interviewed for political intelligence, it was, mm. I'm trying to think, I think it was like a hundred days until it must have been like 31st of January 2019 or something so it was in so I was like oh it's, isn't it great that it's 100 days until um, we leave the EU how interesting is that and this was the first day I came into the interview and said and rather than hi how are you introduce yourself it was just like straight into a really quite interesting topic about the 100 days how it got here and I think that made an instant impression on them that you know yeah. again I've heard in other um sectors so not so much public affairs that when there are 300 300 applicants it's all about standing out um someone told me that they asked people to record a 30 second voice note kind of saying why they wanted to get the job and they said that they deleted about 150 of them that started hi my name is thing i am 21 years old because they're like you know you need to make an instant impression so i think there's a combination of doing a lot of homework and really understanding the political side of things, not just the numbers and the stats, but a bit more the analysis behind that. And then secondly, being confident to make an impression at an interview and show your knowledge beyond, you know, your six month internship somewhere. It's more about having a really good understanding of the political system of the business context of that and the economic consequences of policy, because then you're going to stand out. And as I mentioned earlier, it shows that you're young, hungry, intelligent, and you can be molded into a public affairs professional. So um, I guess that would be my advice. Yeah, I think it's it's nice to see that there's different avenues now. So obviously you're working in a in a, a fintech, a financial institution. Um, and I'm sure there's others within the finance world who have public affairs teams. So um, it just shows you don't have to go and just work just for a government team, for example. There's other companies that could deal with uh, individuals that have got those skills and that knowledge. Um, yeah, like so there's a really interesting article by a really good journalist called Camilla Cavendish in the FT recently. I think it was like every company needs a chief political officer. And it was essentially saying that because of the political context now, it's so important for businesses to elevate their public affairs, government affairs teams almost into that C-suite level because political decisions have massive impacts on businesses. You can see that with uh, Brexit, COVID, you know, the government is making these huge, huge decisions that are having, you know, incredible influences for good or for worse on businesses. And therefore the CEOs need to be aware of these developments, what's gonna happen mm -hmm. in the next six to 12 to 18 months so that the business can adapt and, and overcome these issues and so I think that for people looking to get into public affairs now it's a really exciting time because again I can't speak from experience from 10-15 years ago but 
from what it appears it really does feel like government affairs has elevated itself to becoming a really important part of any business and therefore the opportunities will be there uh, both from an in-house point of view and an agency point of view because more companies are realizing they need it and then they mm. either hire their own teams or hire agencies so again yeah. I, I don't work in agency anymore so i don't know how um applicable that is in reality but you know my sense over the last five six seven years is that uh government affairs has become a lot more important to businesses and i think that's the right thing given yeah. that government is so important for, for businesses and society yeah i completely agree thank you so rory we've got um we've got a bit of a closing tradition on this podcast I'll, I'll, I'll ask you to name someone within your network who's really inspired you and why. That's an interesting question. Um, so it's not a public affairs person, but I think it taught me other skills that have have really helped me in my career. So I worked with a company called Just. They were worked in the debt enforcement sector, which is quite an odd sector, which is essentially the bailiffs. So quite, you know, publicly not a very nice sector, but what they did was bring an ethical side to it and did a lot of behind the scenes tech stuff to kind of help basically create like an aggregator for debt enforcement officers. However, so the CEO is a guy called Jamie Waller. Um, he had um, started a successful um, debt enforcement company you know, from nothing, built it, sold it, probably made a lot of money out of it, but then basically was looking to kind of clean up the sector. Um, and one of the things that we had identified was that there was legislation that was being applied incorrectly by the sector. And this was that when um, a debtor had a debt, so say I owed £200 to an energy company, and then the bailiff came to collect that debt, the VAT on the bailiff's charge, which can be like seven hundred pound plus, that was being charged to the debtor rather than to the, you know, the energy company. So what we had was a situation where vulnerable people that were, you know, struggling with their bills and then being faced with bailiffs things were adding an extra twenty percent. You know, it sounds like not a lot, but you know, these can be hundreds to thousands of pounds for people that are already vulnerable and struggling to pay their bills, right? Yeah. So there's a really challenging issue within the debt enforcement sector about people can't pay rather than won't pay and ultimately you know these people just don't really care they just want to get their money and get what they can out of it and essentially the the the, the legislation had been applied incorrectly um, by the sector and not much was being done about it so my job working with just as political intelligence was to change the law you know i think it's actually a rare occurrence within public affairs that the work we're doing is about changing legislation. I think from the outside looking in, that's what we do. But in reality, that that's quite rare. But this was actually a time where we were seeking to change the law. Wow. And so Jamie's role was really interesting because, you know, he was the orchestrator of it and the driver of it. And I think what really inspired me was just like the commitment to achieving something that was really difficult. I think it was one of the first times in my career that we actually faced some like really serious roadblocks that thought, okay, maybe this isn't possible. Maybe we should just compromise. But, you know, it was Jamie's kind of force of nature to say like, no, we need to keep pushing. You know, being quite awkward and annoying, 
you know, I think that mm -hmm. the Ministry of Justice officials probably didn't like us. I think that we were driving to do the right thing. And yeah. it was that conviction of doing the right thing plus the ability to do anything to achieve what is right was really inspiring and, you know, really taught me a lot in my career that actually, you know, when something might seem lost, it's not always that. You know, we actually ended up, uh, I'm not saying that this is advice to do for anyone, but we actually ended up, um, you know, to have a judicial review against the government on the issue to show the extent to which we were willing to um, do whatever it took to change the law because we knew we were right. You know, we'd received um, a QC guidance that the law has been applied incorrectly. So a lot of money as well as, you know, impetus. But the outcome was that the government tabled secondary legislation and changed the law so that wow you know from it was 2021 20, two onwards you know debtors were no longer being charged VAT and you know that the pride that I get is that we you know we then entered the cost of living crisis that really became pronounced and we knew that despite not being able to help everyone that at least those vulnerable people that were facing this kind of debt tsunami were not having that extra 20 percent which could be hundreds yeah. of pounds which for a struggling family can be feeding your kids for a month or paying your energy bill so again I, I don't think it could be overestimated enough how important that was and i think i'm really proud of that and i think you know i have a lot to thank to jamie uh, for that and taught me a lot about resilience and, and pushing and kind of being relentlessly focused on doing the right thing uh, and that's taught me a lot and yeah it was a really real pleasure working with him what a story what an amazing achievement i think um one thing I took from that is, look, you can be, you can uh, sort of keep banging the drum, but as long as you're doing it in a respectful way and you're doing and you're fighting for the right thing, absolutely keep fighting, right? Because only good things are going to come at the end of it. And it just shows in that story there. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, and I think public affairs is a good way of achieving that. I think, again, the lobbyist perception is that it's big tobacco and, you know, big uh, pharma which is very American so it's, it's not really the reality and I think that people and again I think the Gen Z you know they're really looking to make a difference in mm. their work and that's what drives them rather than money or status or whatever but I really think that public affairs can do that like looking back on my own career like we changed the law there we you know I've helped health tech businesses uh reach patients so that people are getting faster and more accurate diagnosis for uh you know things like atrial fibrillation or working yeah. to build more solar farms in the uk so that we can reach net zero you know if your goal is to help people i really do think that removing barriers to policy and regulation for you know innovative businesses doing the right thing is really a good way to achieve that uh, and kind of you know, scratches that itch that people have in the sense that they're doing the right thing and actually helping people rather than just taking a paycheck. Rory, thank you. Thanks for sharing all of your wisdom, sharing your story about your journey so far. And hopefully there may be some some listeners that want to get in involved in government affairs. So um, I thank you for your time um, and uh, we'll speak soon. Thanks, Rory. Thanks, Jack. Appreciate it. Cheers.